Revelation chapter 17. One announcement is we make our way there. Uh, be aware the men's one-day conference coming up this uh, Saturday, 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Uh, you won't want to miss that. See what the Lord has in mind for us on that day. How many of you liked that video before the service? Huh? Did you? All right. How many of you remember Daryl Mansfield? How many of you? How many of you don't remember Daryl Mansfield? Just put you. He used to come here. We came about four times or so in the early mid years of the church, and uh, so he's an old friend and good memories related to that. Uh, crack up, good stuff. Well, in uh, Revelation chapter 17, uh, we continue with John's description of God's judgment upon uh, spiritual or religious Babylon during the uh, period of, of the tribulation. I think that uh, sometimes a person would look and uh, say, why in the world would God judge religion? Uh, isn't religion good? Why would God have a problem with it at all? And spiritual Babylon is a system that exists and it looks like it's pointing people to God and bringing people into contact with God, but it's actually leading people further away from God into the worship of self, into the worship of material things, which is idolatry. And, uh, and it is a religious system that to get involved in it is one where uh, nobody is going to help you come into a relationship with God and it's going to reach its zenith really during the great tribulation period it'll have a worldwide influence it exists uh, even today and uh, in in different uh, forms how many of you uh, don't shout out but uh, had to leave a religious system that claimed to represent the Lord in order to be born again or even to hear that you needed to be born again or even to hear that Christianity is about a personal relationship with God and not supremely a personal relationship with tradition or with the church or anything else that is elevated above that. And there's a lot of people that have done that kind of thing. And God is going to judge uh, that religious system. One of the interesting things, in you, everybody hates to be misrepresented, I think. That's uh, so why we have libel laws and all this kind of thing. And, and God does not like to be misrepresented. He does not like people to claim to speak for him and then not only not speak for him, but draw people further and further away from him. That troubles him. That upsets him. And, and he is going to judge those kind of religious systems to, that do that. And the whole, the reason that it's so serious is, let's say I'm a con man, and, and I, I scam you, and uh, let's say I, I built you out of uh, $10,000, $100,000, a million dollars, pretty serious business. But you can always remake money, as serious as it is. You can always remake money. You always have another chance to do that. But when there is a religious charlatan that takes and claims to represent God and does not bring people into relationship with the Lord, once this life is over, there is no other chance. So the stakes are way higher than anything else in life. And God says that one day he's going to judge this religious system during the Great Tribulation period. We spoke uh, in depth related to it last week and we'll uh, continue here tonight. Verse 7, but the angel said to me, uh, why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman who is the religious harlot that represents this worldwide religious system during the tribulation period. And I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast 
that carries her, speaking of the Antichrist, which has ten heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw uh, was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. Now, this refers to the assassination attempt that is made against the Antichrist uh, apparently early in the tribulation period. We looked at it in chapter 13, verse 3, where there is that assassination temp made against him. He is what appears to be mortally wounded, and so he was. And then as John says here, he is not death by assassination. He ascends out of the bottomless pit. The false prophet is able to resurrect him out of hell, but his ultimate end is is to go uh, to perdition and uh, into the eternal lake of, of fire. And uh, those who, uh, who marvel on the earth and those who dwell on the earth will marvel, whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. And as we saw in chapter 13, this creates a tremendous following uh, for the Antichrist. A greater following for the Antichrist than the death, burial, and resurrection of the true Christ in many ways uh, produced in his, uh, uh, you, you know, three and a half years of, of public ministry. But that's the fickleness and the wickedness of man. And here's the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And so here uh, John describes to us uh, that, the, uh, that the seven heads represent, uh, the seven heads on the beast represent seven mountains on which the woman sits. In other words, where she's going to rule from and what she is identified with. with. And again, this points to Rome. Rome has long been known since ancient times as the city of seven hills. Why the obscure language and, and uh, speaking cryptically and all? Remember that uh, this letter was written uh, by the Holy Spirit through John in the midst of tremendous Roman uh, persecution. And I think that if it had been overt in speaking negatively of Rome, uh, that uh, it would have created perhaps even greater problems for Christians uh, if the letter and manuscripts of it had fallen into other hands. So uh, the, the symbolism that's used related to that. Now let me be very careful, as I, as I think I was last week, but I want to continue to be. This harlot, this spiritual whore that is going to exist uh, during the tribulation period is not Ro Roman Catholicism as it is today. Uh, um, it is not um, uh, Roman Catholicism exclusively. This worldwide religious system in the last days, and we'll see even more clearly in verse 18 as we saw last week, it will be headquartered in Rome. But remember, it will be, Roman Catholicism will be a part of it as a system, but it will be Roman Catholicism after the rapture of the church, after you have those who are truly born again, salt and light, have a personal relationship with the Lord within that religious system. When they and their influence for the Lord is removed, then who knows what the system will become. But it's not just Roman Catholicism. Again, as we looked at last week, you look at liberal Protestantism that is as negligent in pointing people to the Lord and, and causing people to have a personal relationship with God and the authority of the Scriptures and building a dependence upon them and their religious systems as much as Roman Catholicism could ever think of doing. So it's all kinds of religions that kind of, you know, come together and become this uh, uh, one-world religious system there during the Great Tribulation period. It is headquartered in Rome, but it is unfair to say that it is Rome and only Rome, and it is even unfair to say that it is Rome in its Roman Catholicism in its condition right now even though I'm no fan of Roman Catholicism for biblical reasons. But, but one must be fair in, in all of this. And there are also, verse 10, seven kings. Five have fallen, 
One is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seven and is going to perdition. So, duh. Okay, so we go on to verse 12. Now, it's a very, very confusing passage, isn't it? And I don't think anybody's got uh, this particular section of Revelation completely wired. But uh, I'll give it a very, very uh, educated guess related to things. In verses 10 and 11, John, as he continues to speak, he moves on to speak of seven kings. He declares that five have fallen. At the time that he writes this, Rome had, uh, had seen five previous uh, world-ruling empire. Before Rome became a world-ruling empire, there were five previous ones. Egypt, Assyria, Babylonian Empire, Persia, and then Greece. So when he says five have fallen, he's probably speaking about those five world-ruling empires. He said one is... And uh, this refers to Rome uh, in power at the time of John's writing. And then he declares that the other, a seventh, has not yet come. And uh, this appears to uh, refer to the final world-ruling empire that will take place in the last days, the revived Roman Empire, Daniel chapter 2, characterized by the feet partly of iron, partly of clay, and Nebuchadnezzar's uh, vision. There has not been a world-ruling empire uh, since the uh, Roman Empire. So this seventh and final world-ruling empire is going to follow the Roman Empire. It is a revived Roman Empire, but it will continue for only a short time under the Antichrist. As, as he declares there, it will continue, verse 10, for a short time, and a very, very short time compared to the other world-ruling empires. This empire uh, will occur, uh, will uh, endure for only seven years, the seven years of of the tribulation period. It's interesting that we're also told that the beast, the Antichrist, uh, who is over the revived Roman Empire, will also be an eighth king. He will be of the seven, but he will also be an eighth king. And what this seems to mean is that when the Antichrist is given authority to rule over this revived Roman Empire that is going to be centered in Rome in the last days, uh, when he is given that authority by the, by the ten kings, technically at that point he becomes the seventh king. He rules over that, that, uh, that empire. But then at the three-and-a-half-year mark of the, great of the tribulation period, the halfway point through the seven years, when he walks into the Holy of Holies of the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem, he declares himself to be God. He demands to be worshipped as God. At that point, there is a sense in which he ceases to be what he was for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. That arrangement, so to speak, ends at that point. And now he just takes over everything. There's no pretense to sharing power, no pretense about what it is that he's about or working with the ten kings that put him in power anymore. He is, was the seventh, but in terms of pure power, he now becomes the eighth. Technically, it is no longer a revived Roman Empire. It is that for three and a half years. Now it is an eighth empire, the empire of the Antichrist. And, uh, and so uh, don't get overwhelmed by all of this if, if, if you are. The main thing to realize is, is that the Antichrist is going to rule over a revived Roman Empire and he's going to take it over for his own purposes. And then the ten horns, verse 12, which you saw, are the ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast, with the Antichrist, they are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. 
Um, the ten horns again represent the ten kings of that revived Roman Empire. He says that their future, uh, they have no kingdom uh, as yet. They will deliver their national sovereignty over to the Antichrist and his little empire will be concentrated or centered at least uh, in, in uh, uh, Europe is that uh, uh, final empire. It's interesting in verse 12 when he speaks of the fact that they receive authority for one hour. Again, the shortness of the time in which these kings, you know, they, they sell out. They think they're going to build this great empire that's going to last forever and it's only going to last for seven and a half years uh, or seven years. Can you imagine when these guys get into place and, and the Antichrist comes into place for the three and a half years, the world is, it's just going to go, it's going to go great. It's going to go great. It's going to look like we finally got rid of those religious fanatics, those Christians, and everything that was hampering us from making the quantum leap and, you know, human evolution and the whole deal. This guy's going to have the answer to everything, and everything's going to go great. And they have to be looking at what he is putting together, what they are the part of, is that they are establishing a world-ruling empire that's going to last for a very long time. It was interesting, Adolf Hitler, when he built, attempted to build his little empire there in Europe, and, and he called it the Third Reich. He intended that that was going to rule for a thousand years. It lasted about 13 years and, uh, and, and problems all the way along. But that's the, the craziness of the thinking. They look at it and say, this is going to be forever and ever for a great period of time. And, uh, and, and actually, it gets shut down uh, very, very quickly. Then notice in verse 14, very interesting, these, speaking of the heart, the, uh, the, the beast and the kings, these will make, uh, and the harlot, these will make war with the lamb. And you'd think a, a lamb would be pretty easy to take, except this lamb is Jesus. <laughs> and uh, the lamb will overcome them. Isn't that something? Imagine being pinned by a lamb. But this isn't any, any old lamb on things, you know. You've got you to gotta be careful what lamb you pick on. This is the wrong lamb uh, to pick on. And, uh, and, so, and the lamb will overcome them, speaking of the battle of Armageddon. And here's the reason why. Yes, he is a lamb, but he is also the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen. Are, those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. That's his description of us. We will return with him from heaven at the second coming, the Bible teaches, and his description. It's a beautiful description by the Lord of us as saints, as being called, chosen, and faithful, in contrast uh, to the harlot and everything else that's in the world. And then the angel said to me, uh, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. So again, as we saw last week, uh, this religious system is going to uh, dominate the world and cover uh, the world. And the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot. They will take, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. Now this is fascinating. The ten, the ten kings, the political powers, they will use the harlot, they will use the false religious system to gain power, to gain the trust uh, of, of the world. But when they're done gaining the trust of the world through this false religion, then they will turn on her and they will destroy her. And it's fascinating how politicians, not all, but how politicians use religion in order to give legitimacy to themselves that they should not have and would not otherwise have unless they had the endorsement of religious people. Politicians do it all of the time to legitimize themselves or an attempt to, to do that. 
and it looks like the Antichrist is going to use this religious system, allow it to prosper, allow it to expand. He'll even identify himself with it for three and a half years uh, in order to uh, convince the world while he is consolidating the power, uh, all of the power of the world, consolidating his power. And when anyone would think, whoa, wait a second, I don't, what about this? And, and it not sitting right and all of those things. He has the backing of the greatest religious system in the world. And so it'll look like he cares about the things of God. He's a religious man. He's a man of peace when he is nothing uh, of the sort. And so the use of, of religion will continue right on by politicians and all right on into uh, the great uh, tribulation uh, period. It's interesting that when the Antichrist and the, and the ten nations and the kings and the devil, when they get done with uh, this religious system, they just uh, turn on her and uh, just destroy her. And I think that happens at the three and a half year mark when he takes and destroys that and then sets up uh, a new religion and that is the religion of Antichrist and the worship of him if you're gonna play with the devil then you better not expect loyalty you better not expect mercy and you better expect for your throat to be cut in the middle of the night this guy doesn't know anything about uh, you know loyalty or faithfulness or this kind of thing and he just uses this religious system and then destroys it uh, as soon as he's uh, done with it that's what the devil does with everybody not just religious systems not just with nations but individual lives and uh, good to be born again and out of uh, his reach for God has verse 17 put it into their hearts to fulfill his purpose to be of one mind and to give their kingdom to the beast uh, until the words of God are fulfilled and so these ten the Antichrist these ten kings that are you know ruling and giving him support and and authority and power they think they're in control and all these things that they're doing during the tribulation period and and all and uh, they're not in control God is in control and their wickedness is just bringing all of human history to its God appointed end and that is the end of man's rebellion and the establishing of of a new kingdom the kingdom uh, of God and a new heavens and a new earth notice in verse 18 and the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth and so this makes uh, her identity uh, and and where she'll be headquartered uh, this harlot this religious system prior to a destruction uh, very very clear she is a city we're told here in verse 18 uh, she is the city that in John's day was ruling over the kings of the earth and the empire that ruled the world at the time that John wrote this was the Roman Empire and the capital of the Roman Empire was Rome. So there you have the destruction of uh, spiritual Babylon. Then in chapter 18, where the parentheses continues where uh, God speaks to us now about his judgment upon commercial uh, Babylon. And commercial Babylon refers to an economic system. It refers to a commercial system based upon the principles of Babylon and so it speaks of a world uh, economic and commercial system that fights against God for the heart the mind the soul and the strength of people it is it it is very competitive against God for what God is wanting uh, to do in human lives where this commercial system this economic system wants to take people and how do, it wants to use people's lives where God wants to take people where God wants their priorities to be the kind of life that he wants to produce in them to entirely different things and there's a sense in which the commercial uh, Babylon is its own religion it certainly is in in the United States of America now let me be very very clear uh, here on this this chapter is not a condemnation of making a living it is not a condemnation of making a good living it is not a condemnation of making money 
It is not a condemnation of having nice things. It is not a condemnation of prospering. The Bible teaches that to obey God's Word in whatever context we're in in the world is a way to prosperity. There is, this is the prosperous way to live. It doesn't mean that we make that the focus of our life and all. It doesn't mean that we'll all become rich. But, but people, we do, are going to prosper as we obey the Lord. Now, it, this prospering is God spoke to the children of Israel in Deuteronomy through the law. And he said, listen, you obey these commandments so that it may be well with you. I'm taking you into a land filled with, you know, flowing with milk and honey and these kinds of things. That doesn't mean that when these things and obedience to the word of the Lord leads to prosperity in my life, that that wealth should be selfishly amassed for myself, or that the wealth is then to be foolishly spent, you know, on obscene luxury or uh, these kinds of, of, of things, or becoming covetous and materialistic as, as the world is around us. Jesus said, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's to be our attitude toward, toward wealth and prosperity as, as a Christian. It is to be directed toward the kingdom of God under the direction of the Holy Spirit. Now this commercial Babylon is a worldwide commercial and economic system, as I said, that steals the heart, the mind, the soul, and the strength of men away from God and deceives men and women into thinking that accumulating money and things is the meaning of life, that that is the purpose of life, that uh, that is where satisfaction in life is found. You get this much things or these better things or bigger things or this particular and then you will have accomplished what life is, is intended to be. And in that sense, it is very much its, its own religion. And so it deceives people into making materialism the master passion of their life where they are living for more and more and more and more and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and we know nothing of it in the United States of America but please try to imagine <laughs> Jesus said and it's one of my favorite things that he said in in this vein he said take heed and beware of covetousness that ungodly desire for more and more and more for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses now you notice in verse 23, and it's interesting, and, and then we'll look to tear uh, into it. For your merchants, he said, at the end of verse 23, are the great men of the earth, for by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. Here is this commercial Babylon that makes merchants the great men of the earth. And they deceive people and they put them under the spell of thinking that living for things instead of living for God is where satisfaction and fulfillment is found. Why do they do it? Because they love people. They love people. No, they do it because there's a lot of money in it. And God hates it. God hates it. And one day he is going to destroy it. It is a system that calls Jesus a liar and calls the God of the Bible a liar about what he says is the meaning of life, the purpose of life, and how life is to be lived. And it fights with God for the hearts, the minds, the soul, and the strength of people. Notice here in verse 1, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, 
and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So we continue to see this wide array of angels that are involved in all of this. This angel is, is so great that uh, his arriving on the scene is illuminate, the earth is illuminated with his glory. The splendor is so, so great. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And so he comes along and, and he declares the fall of Babylon. He repeats, uh, is fallen, is fallen, uh, to assure that it is, it is going to happen. This is a, is a sure thing. Now, uh, as we shall see, this Babylon is a large, prosperous city that will be the economic and commercial center of the world during the Great Tribulation period. It may refer to a rebuilt uh, Babylon. Many people believe that Babylon will be rebuilt along the uh, Tigris and, and Euphrates River uh, there in in Iraq, it's interesting, I saw an article in uh, online, on one, Fox News Online, and they were talking about UNESCO, a section of the United Nations, looking to invest heavily in the rebuilding of Babylon to make it a commercial center for the part, that part of the world. So there are many who believe that it will be rebuilt. It's talking about a rebuilt Babylon. I think uh, it's unlikely because uh, from verses 17, 18, and 19, when we get to them, this city is, it clearly is a seaport. Uh, as the sailors watch the destruction and, and the smoke coming up with their own eyes and all. So there are others of us who think that it refers to a seaport city like London or maybe uh, Los Angeles or New York and, uh, and it's called Babylon because it is, uh, will be the hub of the idolatrous Babylonian uh, commercial system of the last days. Now he gives the reasons uh, for the judgment of Babylon, verse 2, uh, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. And, and so commercial Babylon will be dominated by demonic spirits versus the Holy Spirit. There's a spirit behind it. There's a spirit behind covetousness. Some of you know. I mean, you, you know that it took the Lord coming into your life to get you off of that, uh, you know, whole cycle of finding life in that particular area and buying and crazy and in debt like crazy, you know, and all of this kind of thing. And you say, this is nuts. I mean, this is supernatural what's going on in, in, around my life. And people are as addicted to that as they're addicted to anything else in life. There's a, there's a demonic spirit behind it. There will be in this commercial Babylon during the tribulation period. Demonic spirit behind all the fashions and the covetousness and the greed and all of it. And, God know, and, and Satan knows how to use covetousness to bring people into bondage. He enters into Judas Iscariot. And Judas Iscariot sells Jesus out, imagine, for 30 pieces of silver. That's the power of covetousness. And then you add the whole element of the devil behind it, and the foolish decisions that can be uh, made. For all the nations, verse 3, have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In other words, the whole world is going to follow her into this idolatry of materialism. And you look at the world today, and uh, what is the religion of the world? What is the master passion of the world? It's wealth. It's materialism. It's things. And you look all around the world and it's increasingly so where you say, well, this country is this certain religion of a nation and this certain religion of a nation, this certain religion of a nation. But you're noticing it, and it's happening literally by the month in, in this time in human history where all of those identities related to the different nations are falling by the, the wayside. And now the most important thing to these kings and to uh, these, or these nations is to have their peace in this economic uh, pie. So when the elections are held, 
for instance, in the United States of America, what's the number one concern any politician has to have in the United States of America to win an election? The economy. The economy. Not righteousness. Not godliness. Not morality. Not having moral authority in this nation or in the world. Nobody brings that stuff up at all. It's money. And are you going to keep the money, commercial, economic machine going? The kings, notice also in verse 3, you've got the nations, but then the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. They've united with her in uncleanness, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And so uh, during this tribulation period, the world economy becomes more powerful than individual kings and nations. Kings and nations will compromise every command of God in order to have a place in the world economy. And you see, you see it today. You see it today. The compromise that is made everywhere because we must have our place in this world economy or we're going to lose out. And there's a part of that that's good and it's right but not when it means compromising the Word of God and the place of God in the life of a nation, the life of people, in order to do that. And you see it today. The different companies in the world, they are bigger than kings. They are bigger than nations. They are more wealthy than nations. They are more powerful than nations. And you watch the nations of the world lining up to try and woo these companies into their country in order to allow them to be a part of this bigger thing. And it's happening all over where now that's become the bigger issue. The bigger issue isn't who are our politicians or our kings or what is our nation and our sovereignty and our constitution and all these kinds of things. Listen, if they'll come in and they'll bring jobs, bring them in. That's where we are. Reading it recently in the newspaper, not only talking about uh, legitimate business and all, but illegitimate business, the whole drug trade. Like I said last week after, uh, you know, the uh, arms, and I forget what the other one was, but drugs, number three biggest moneymaker in, in, in the world uh, today. You have whole sections of South America and Central America where no one will make a peep because they'll be dead and their families will be dead in 48 hours. The system has just has become more powerful than the nation, more powerful than their government structure, more powerful than the kings. It's all moving. It's all moving where God said that, that it would uh, move. The merchants, he said in verse 3 of the earth, have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And so the merchants of the earth, they'll be willing to sell their own souls in order to become rich in this godless commercialism, and they'll make a lot of money. The problem is it'll be gone in an hour. God's going to make that point about four times in just a minute as we get to it. It's going to be gone in a day, gone in an hour, gone in an hour, gone in an hour. What's it, what good is it to make all of this money, you know, rebelling against God in defiance of His commandments and the corrupting of the world and making it a God and then causing others to follow me into that system in all, make all of the money in the world, and then it's gone in an hour. The whole economic system can collapse in an hour when God wants to cause it to, to collapse. And, and so that's why it's not a, a, a worthy God or master passion in, in our lives. And then notice now another voice from heaven calls on God's people to get out of her, disassociate yourself uh, with, with this system. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive her plagues. In other words, you caught up, get caught up in her judgment. I think that's one of the most important things about just a simple life of obedience to the Word of God. An uncompromising obedience to the Word of God is that it, it, 
If we compromise every time the Lord is trying to move us to change something, to do something, and we compromise in order to stay there, we've, we've taken things back under our own control. And, and sometimes God wants to move, move us out of a system where he knows trouble is coming or judgment is coming upon it. And if we would just be uncompromising, obey his word in that system, and if it means that he moves us out of that system as a result of it, it is only that we're getting out of something that can disappear in an hour. And God knows how fragile these things are that are built upon wickedness and built upon uh, compromise. And, and so he speaks to his people, come out of her, for her sins, verse 5, have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. God is, watches this system. He sees all of it. He sees uh, every cut corner. He hears every lie. He sees every cheated customer, every employer that's been taken, employee that's been taken advantage of and, and all, or employer and the bigger scheme of things. And, and, and he, he's watching it. And render to her, verse 6, just as she rendered to you. And repay her double according to her works in the cup in which she has mixed, mixed double for her. In the mixture, in the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I, I sit as a queen and am no, no widow and will not see sorrow. And so God calls uh, on the fact that she's not going to escape judgment. She's going to be repaid for all of the evil that, that this uh, commercial Babylon has inflicted uh, upon people. The Lord has seen all of it, and uh, she's gotten her luxury. She's gotten her glory. She's gotten these things at the expense of God and at the expense of people, and he's going uh, to judge it. Now, the interesting thing in verse 7 is she considers herself to be indestructible. She considers herself to be beyond judgment. She says, I'm a queen, I'm no widow, I'm not going to see sorrow. And you might imagine that during the tribulation period, as this economic machine, and it's going to be... I believe that during the first half of the, of the tribulation period, the world is going to see an economy that they have we have never seen. There's going to be a prosperity. I mean, it's amazing. I mean, you look, for those of us who are a little bit older, you look at where, where we've come from materially just in our lifetime, from what made a family rich or well-to-do or middle class or upper middle class to, to what is esteemed now. I mean, it's, it's shocking. But I, but I think things, prosperity and, and, and wealth and enrichment and all these things are going to uh, go like crazy in the first three and a half years of, of, of the Great Tribulation. And she's going to look at herself, this economic system, and say, nobody can touch us. This thing is, we got the whole deal. We got the markets and Asian thing going on over here. We've got Europe. We've got Africa tied in on this way. And we've got Russia and South America and North America and the whole thing. And it's just this fine-tuned deal. There are no enemies. Nobody can derail it. This thing is going to go on forever and ever in, in, in this way. But she's, she forgets there's a God in heaven that's watching her. And he is the one that can stop her, and he will stop her because he hates what she becomes. And you notice verse 8, Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord. She thinks she's strong. Strong is the Lord who judges her. She's going to be wiped out, and she's going to be destroyed by the Lord in one day and God wants to drive home that point in this passage because he repeats it over and over again one day verse 8 one hour verse 10 one hour verse 17 one hour verse 19 God can bring the economy of the world to a screeching halt in a moment in in one day translation don't make it your God <laughs> Don't make, make it my security in life. Invest, no sense in investing my life in what can be destroyed in one hour. 
And, and so it, it's not worthy of the commitment that people have made to it. Uh, the kingdom of God. Now that's, that's, a, that's a commitment that's worthy. That's something that can't be destroyed. That's something that's never going to come to an end. And the reward of being involved in all of that. And so she's going to be destroyed. Notice the reaction on earth to her destruction. First, the kings of the earth, their reaction. The kings of the earth who committed fornication, they enjoyed what she was. They united with her uncleanness, and they lived luxuriously with her. They will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Here are the most powerful men in the world, and they cannot stop this judgment. And when they see the judgment fall, they will, have, they will be so shocked they will be so broken over it, they won't even be able to hide their grief and their tears. They will openly weep over the destruction of this system. And they'll be standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. They're completely shocked <laughs> over the, the destruction of the city, how fast the judgment uh, came uh, upon it. Why? Righteousness exalts a nation, and sin is a reproach to any people. I am heartbroken and is a citizen of this country, and I'm thankful to be a citizen of this country. I can hardly listen to any politician speak they're good politicians. But everything is, it's just great. What a war is being fought there. And it needs to be fought on a certain level and all. But you know, you, you, you look at this, the whole thing, and, and it's all about the talk from both sides of the aisle that the, the thing that makes America great and, and the great thing about the United States of America and all of these things is the you know, free enterprise system and, and it is our economy and all of those things. That is not why we are great and it is not what made us great. And if we think that's what made us great, we're through. We're through. This country is ready to fragment in 50 different pieces because you can't hold a nation of people together by telling them, let's all work together on our problems because this is a great country to make a buck. That is not a lofty enough goal in people's hearts to hold a country together. You remove the spiritual roots of a country. The God of the Bible, the God, the Constitution, and the different things based upon the Word of God, our laws based upon the Word of God, a desire to do right in God's eyes, to be an influence for good in God and the world. You remove the loftiness of those uniting themes, and, and you're going to have problems. And, and we're going to have problems. We have problems now. And they're just, they're just starting. This country is not the great country that it is. In many ways, it is. But it's getting ragged around the edges. It is not the great country that it is and it has been. Because it's a place to come and make a lot of money. It was made great because it had a concern for God and its origin. And a concern for the gospel going all around the world and a concern for doing the right thing, not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But what the Founding Fathers sought to cause the population to aim for as a goal of a nation, those were good things. Those are irreplaceable things. All that changes during the tribulation period. And then notice the merchants... You have the kings, their response, verse 11, the merchants of the earth, they begin to weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. It's hard to have a little pity on them, you know. It's all, you know, sales. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls. This is like walking through a very high-end mall. 
We're talking about the whole list is luxury. We're talking about incredible prosperity during this time in, in, in the world. And it's a seduction of the world to think this is the meaning of, of life. Merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine oil and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and then here it is, I mean frighteningly so, and bodies and souls of men. And so the merchants, they lament over the destruction of Babylon, commercial Babylon, because their income is, is lost. <laughs> And you look at all of the luxury items that are listed there and all, and what is it? It's a testimony. It's a testimony to how insatiable covetousness is. They have all of this and more, and still they are not satisfied because you can never be satisfied with material things. We were made for a... A relationship with God and until we are engaged in what we have been created for there will be an empty place in our life that if we were able to pour the entire world into it it wouldn't fill it and this is just a testimony uh, to it notice when he speaks there in verse 13 and it's it's of the bodies and the souls of men I mean it's at least underline it in, in your mind. And here is the ugly side of this commercial Babylon. Since it doesn't exist out of any concern for God or any concern for man, it exists solely uh, for the sake of money, then the souls and the bodies of men aren't important to them. And so men and women are simply, they just simply exist to be used to feed the economic machine and using them like their machines, using them like their animals, that they don't have a soul, that they aren't made in the image of God. You just take them by the bunch, you use them, you use up their health, you crush them, you take every bit of vitality, every bit of energy and strength and health from them, and then when they break down, you throw them on the side of the road and you grab fire five more just like them to keep the machine operating. And that's how the whole system works. People are nothing. The machine is everything. And you see it. You see it. And money is their only concern instead of what is God's concern. Two commandments. Love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And then the second one, like unto the first, love your neighbor as yourself. And they have no concern for either commandment, which is the encapsulation of the entirety of the law and the prophets, Jesus said. It is ungodly to run an enterprise in that way. Unbelievable wealth being made off of the health and the welfare of the poor that is unfair and sinful in the eyes of God and they're going to have to answer to God one day for it because God hates it and I don't care what the laws of the land are in the United States of America or in France or in Chile or in Russia or anywhere you want to go there is a higher law that everyone is one day going to have to answer to and it is the law of God and there can be things that are lawful and right because of the corruption of a particular government that allows people to be used in this way and we must recognize that even if it's lawful by the laws of the land it is something that God hates People. The system exists to help people. It's not the other way uh, around. Now, it doesn't mean that a business can't make a profit. It doesn't mean that it can't make a great uh, profit. 
It's not that a business cannot demand a full day's work for a full day's pay. All of that's great, but it cannot go here. It can't go to where these priorities are. And so the merchants, they, they get rich, and the people get their luxuries, but behind the scenes there is slave labor, and people are being treated like animals. That happens all around the world today. That's the system that he condemns. And then he talks about using their bodies for wealth. I got an email this week and it was talking about uh, somebody had sent it in, in a broad kind of email and it could, because there had been a request for statistics on pornography and the amount of uh, internet pornography and the money that was being made on it and all. And then somebody sent also included in it the level of prostitution where people are being taken poor, powerless from all around the world and brought to these power centers and rich centers of the world and they're just being used by these systems to make money. Their bodies are being used and the, the dollar amounts are shocking. And God notices it, and God hates it, and He's going to judge it all. And so they lament the wealth that's gone in one hour. Isn't that interesting? These merchants and all, they weep. They never wept for a single human life. They never wept for the people that they crushed for their luxury. Not for necessity, for their luxury. None of that could produce a tear in them, but they'll weep when the system breaks down and is destroyed. It's a terrible thing. And the fruit that your soul, verse 14, long for has gone from you. And all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, the destruction so great, and they will be weeping and wailing. They cannot hide their sorrow and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen and purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls here it is for in one hour such great riches came to nothing (laughs) can be gone in an hour (laughs) and then the reaction of the shipmasters the third group every shipmaster all who travel by sea sailors and as many as trade uh on the sea stood at a distance and they cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning saying what is like this great city it was unbelievable to them that this city could be destroyed and the system destroyed they threw dust on their heads and they cried out I mean this is the ultimate lamentation over you know what's happening weeping and wailing and saying alas alas that great city in which all uh, who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth for in one hour she is made desolate in one hour gone that's the reaction on earth to her destruction now God looks at it a little differently heaven looks at it a little differently verse 20 here's the reaction of heaven they took out the violins oh boy isn't this? no they here rejoice over her oh heaven And you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. Do you think about all the way through the ages where godly men and women have been consumed in these kind of systems, crushed and destroyed as if they were nothing in these kind of systems, or murdered and assassinated because they chose to stand up for God and denounce this kind of thing and stand against the powers that were and then find themselves martyred and and assassinated. And God says, with this destruction, He has avenged them on that entire system And then a mighty angel took a stone like a great millstone and he threw it into the sea saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. In other words, her destruction will be violent, her destruction will be complete. I hope everyone uh, lived near a pond or something while you were growing up. One of the great things is to be a boy, isn't it? 
in a pond somewhere, find the biggest rock you can find. You know what I mean? Bigger than your brother can find, for sure. At least that big. Uh, here's some right here in the planter. But anyway, and you take it and you just heave it as far as you can out into the pond. There's this big splash, plunk, and what? And then it only takes a moment, and the whole thing is just, you know, covered back over. It disappears. It's like it never existed. It's gone. That's the judgment. That's how complete the judgment is is going uh, to be. And the sound of, of harpists and uh, musicians, flutists and trumpet, uh, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. And so pleasure, entertainment brought to an end there. The craftsmen, uh, no craftsman of any craft shall be found in you uh, anymore. So building, manufacturing under that system brought to an end. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. Household work, food preparation, this kind of thing. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. Every light will be uh, extinguished in the voice of the bridegroom and the bride shall not be heard in you anymore. No more weddings. The entire thing is destroyed. And here's the reason why. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. The reason for the judgment, verse 23, reason for her destruction given, for her merchants were the great men of the earth. And the world comes to a place where they esteem commercialism and materialism more highly than the voice of God. They take a poll in the nation or the nations and say, who are the great men of this day and of this generation? And the merchants are considered the great men of the generation or the great men of the country and of the world instead of prophets and apostles and voices for righteousness and men and women who love God and walk with God and live for God and serve God and call upon the world to worship the Creator rather than the creation. You look at all the television commercials. Look at all of these reality shows. If you are watching reality shows, you are not redeeming the time. You're going to answer for that. What a total waste of time. In fact, if you're watching... T I'm just kidding. You know, kind of, just about. Just about. God bless sports. And probably a ballet or something. I don't know what kind of a deal. But I mean, uh, so let's not get carried away. But... Uh, but you look at all of the television commercials and, and the advertisements that are in print and all of the things, they are, they're calling on people to worship materialism, to make it the most important thing in their life instead of God. And it is, whether it realizes it or not, it is fighting against God for a place in people's lives that belongs only to God. What will be the religion of the world? One of the big religions of, of the world, certainly in the last three, or during the Great Tribulation period, it'll be money. It'll be materialism, the worship of these things. Jesus said, For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? How about you tonight? If you don't know the Lord, You've never trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and received the everlasting life and the forgiveness that he gives. Jesus said something very astonishing there where he says that if you, and nobody can do it, but if, if you were able to gain the whole world, Donald Trump times a million, you own all the property in the world. You have all of the power in the world. You have all of the wealth in the world, all of the gold in the world. You own everything in the world, but it cost you your soul to gain it. And you die and go into eternity 
apart from Christ, you have made a disastrous decision because your soul is worth more than all of the world and all of creation put together because your soul is eternal. These things are going to give, away, give way to a new heaven and to a new earth. That's how we have to view our souls. That's how important it is. That's how long eternity is. That's heaven's perspective. So how much do I get? 50,000, 150,000, 300,000, a million dollars, whatever gets off. What is worth missing heaven for? Jesus said, if you had all of it, not one, one other person in the whole world had a dime. You had all of it. And you lose your soul over it. Worst transaction a person can make in the world. And so the importance of trusting in him. By the sorcery of this system, all of the nations were deceived. They're drugged. It's a sorcery. It's a drug. It is a spell. It is a witchcraft. It is demonic at its, at its core. And it's to live in a hallucination to live this kind of, of way. God's going to judge it. That's why he says come out from among that system to his people during that, that period. Get out of that and that kind of a thing. Let's stand together and we'll pray. The worship team come forward. That'd be great. Think about how long eternity is. Think about how long that is. Think about what it would be to have three score and ten, seventy years to own everything in the world and then one second into eternity the unbelievable regret that there will be. But how much worse to do it for some something infinitesimally less. If you're here tonight and you're not saved, you haven't made Jesus your Savior and your Lord, you do not value your soul yet in the same way that Jesus values your soul. And tonight you need to get saved and you need to make him your Savior and your Lord. And there are going to be men and women up in front immediately after the service. They have, they'll have a badge on that says prayer so you can identify them easily. And they'd love to pray with you to make that decision and make that step tonight. And God Almighty will come into your life by the Holy Spirit and you will be born again as a free gift.